Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, and John Favreau, and the rest of the team at Lucasfilm have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, Brian Gaughan, and I are recording this week's show on Friday, June 17th, just two days before Father's Day. By the way, I would be remiss if I did not mention that my former co-host of this podcast, Dan Z, has written a very appropriate Father's Day book. It's called Star Wars, I Am Your Father, Lessons for Parents, Protectors, and Mentors. This is from DK. It was published back uh, uh, last day of May of this year. 64-page hardcover. So honestly, if you're looking for something for Dad for Father's Day, this may be the way to go. I was able to get my copy at the Star Wars Celebration. And signed, really? and signed by Dan too. So Aww. I was I was very happy that I and it's funny. It's great. They did a great job. Oh, that's killer. I'm I'm so glad to hear that. But you know, I realize we're relatively early into the history of this podcast, but Brian and I are both delighted dads. As in we enjoy our kids. They have grown into from sweet little things to interesting (laughs) adults, you know. And in fact, one of the things I so enjoy about having a daughter like Alice is a a smart, clever kid like that is it's like having an extendo brain. You'd be amazed how much smarter you get when you have a clever kid. And and speaking of which, Brian, you were were telling a story, you know, uh, well, again, it was something we mentioned on on the last podcast about hello there. Hello Uh, there. Yes. And you have pointed out the show and your son Devin kind of said, hey, Dad, I got something to tell you. So Yeah, you- De- Devin te- texted me, and he says, um, he goes, Dad, fa- no, he goes, Father, I have one little edit from the podcast. Mm-hmm. You were wrong. I'm going, what do you mean I was wrong? What was I wrong about? And he told me that the whole hello there is a meme mm-hmm. that started a few years ago. And what it is, it was from uh, Revenge of the Sith, mm-hmm. where Obi-Wan falls and sneaks behind General Grievous mm-hmm. and says, hello there. And then Grievous says, General Kenobi. And you're supposed to answer General Kenobi when he says, hello there. So when you say hello there, and then, and then I watched it. Um, and when he says it, the whole audience said, you know, General Kenobi. And that's, of course, from when he meets R2-D2 for the first time and says, well, hello there. And that's where that came. So that was a callback. So, yeah, he, he kind of put me in my place in that oh, one. Oh, no, no, it's not, <laughs> not putting you in your place. It's, it's you know, again, it's, they're info sharing. You know, they're just, just keeping us current. You know, the, yeah, the, yeah, I, keep, yeah. And, and not afraid to tell, tell me when daddy is wrong. <laughs> anyway, uh, lots and lots of Star Wars news this week, folks. So, uh, and... As always, the news portion of today's show uh, is being brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. And before we start plowing ahead here, 
Of course we're going to be talking about the last couple of episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi. But that said, Brian wanted to point out that, that it's quite likely there were, there were folks out there who have not seen uh, episode five yet. The penultimate uh, episode of what I'm kind of hoping at this point is season one of Obi-Wan. You know, I really would love to see this continue. So... We're going to talk about that on the second half of today's show, so this will be, you know, for that, a spoiler-free zone. But we will, when we get to talking about Episode 5, uh, we'll let you folks know. And if you you want to opt out for a bit while we discuss what happened, but you, you know, you, you can do that. You can That way you can enjoy 5 all by yourself. So, obviously, you and I have been enjoying the limited series, but it's been, let's face it, as a star, some two guys who began their love of this franchise with the first Star Wars movie, the last couple of years for the actual feature films have been interesting. Is, is that the word we're using? To what? say the least. Okay. <laughs> All right. Because again, we got Solo, a Star Wars story, uh, which was released back on May 10th, 2018, and then... After that, uh, we got Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, uh, December 20th, 2019. And, and what always kind of intrigued me about that is, I don't know if Rise of, the Skywalker, Rise of Skywalker ever really had a chance, given that the very first episode of Mandalorian debuted, what was it, four weeks, five yeah. weeks beforehand, on November 12th, 2019. And... That should have been, you know, it was supposedly the end of the, the Skywalker saga. And that should have been the big story. But face it, we were all talking about, well, we didn't know he was Grogu at that point, but we were talking about Baby Yoda and the Mandalorian. And am I wrong to say that right now, at least as far as the fandom is concerned, it's these limited series like like The Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett, and Obi-Wan that are really driving the bus now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I went to the Star Wars celebration mm-hmm. during the uh, Mandalorian panel with with Dave Filoni and and John Favreau, it was one of the loudest cheers I've ever heard, and it mm-hmm. was like these are the conquering heroes; mm-hmm. these are the people who have made us love Star Wars again. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that the other films. You know, because I I I love I love the other films. I like them a lot, mm-hmm. and they still all made a billion dollars. So you you can't say that they're failures. Well, I, you know that that uh, let's be clear here. Solo did not make a no 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 not Solo, yeah. but I mean Skywalker and no, 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 and no, no. yeah wrong. yeah no no you're right. And then, but see that my problem with Solo is mm-hmm. or that what they think the problem with Solo was was recasting Solo. Uh, yeah, I think that's the wrong lesson to take away. And and at that. first, didn't Kennedy come out and say that that was the problem, but then she walked it back? She did. She did. And in fact, what's interesting is supposedly the reason she walked it back is like, if you're unhappy with the casting of Solo, you're then unhappy with Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian. And she's been quite vocal about the fact that, you know, yeah, we really want to do the Lando series, but it's it's Donald Glover's dance card that that's very full. So, yeah, I would, that was an interesting moment to have to, now, wait a minute, okay, I, I, I know what I said, but this is what I meant. 
they should have taken a page out of, and they were taking a page out of the MC universe mm-hmm. when um, James Gunn mm-hmm. did Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. which tone was different from everything else, mm-hmm. and was basically a laugh out loud comedy, a little raunchy. Mm-hmm. And that's why they probably hired um, Miller and, and oh, I always forget his name. Oh, uh, uh, Chris Miller and Phil Lord. Yeah, yep. Miller and Lord. That's why they, mm-hmm. they hired them, because mm-hmm. they wanted probably to do exactly, let's throw something else out there. But mm-hmm. then somebody panicked. Somebody yeah. said, well, this is not what the fans want. But how do you know what the fans want? But look what's happening with Mandalorian. It's yeah. there's a lot of humor in it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of um, drama in it. It's sometimes a little goofy. I mean, you know, basically, uh, Grogu is Costello, Luke Costello, so in some ways. But um, it, it, oh, you know, if <laughs> I'm sorry, but if <laughs> you know, if the moment that Grogu finally talks, if that's the voice that comes, out, hey, yeah, and it's like, no, I. I, I I will actually be happy, but but no, I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, and and that's why I th- I think one day I, I don't know if we're ever going to see what they've done. I I've never I've tried to find you know if there's something if you go down a rabbit hole some kind of idea of what what they were going as. But mm-hmm. look, they had Donald Glover who is who is one of the most you know he's a comedian as well as a dramatic actor. And he's very subtle when he comes up with things. And um, I just think, and and the original, wasn't the original bad guy, wasn't it Michael K. Williamson? Wasn't he the original bad guy mm. instead of um, Jude Law? No, not Jude Law. Um, Bennington. Solo was a difficult project to keep your arms around as an entertainment reporter. Because again, it was one of these things where and and you were watching both Disney and Lucas because face it it's it's embarrassing when you have to stop production and you let two accomplished guys like you know Miller and Lord go and then bring in Ron Mill excuse me Ron Howard right. to sort of do your reset look at the footage you've got see if there's a movie there and and let me lay something else out here that, that I just want to get your thoughts on the Obi Wan Kenobi series started off life as a film it was one of the solo a star wars story much like rogue one there was supposed to be you know obi-wan a a star wars story this was supposed to be a theatrical release and then you know on the heels of the many 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 reshoots on rogue one which by the way were worthwhile i love that movie but coupled with the fact that you know having to actually stop production on solo replace your directors, bring in a new director, and then bring a film to theaters that did not connect the way the company had hoped. Do you think if Solo had been a limited series, it had had the freedom that Obi-Wan has had? I mean, face it, we're going to end up with like five hours worth of Obi-Wan story when all is said and done here. Do you think it it would have had more success there if the story had been given more time to breathe and yeah, very very much so because mm-hmm. one uh, first of all, Solo mm-hmm. is an episodic movie. It oh, it is right. in it is in episodes. Mm-hmm. There are episodes. It 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 doesn't follow so much a structure 
of a movie as it's it you know it has episodes whereas obi-wan mm-hmm. is not structured as a tv series it's mm-hmm. structured as a film mm-hmm. and We'll talk about this later, but that's what I think a lot of people may be complaining about as well. There's nothing happening. No, mm-hmm. there's a lot happening, but you have to wait a week. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to like stop in midstream mm-hmm. with something like Kenobi. But yeah, I think um, Solo would have been terrific as a... As a, um, and then you could have, like you said, you, mm-hmm. you have six hours. You mm-hmm. could have focused more on, on Lando. You could focus mm-hmm. more on... His ex-girlfriend. You can focus more on the bad guy. You can focus more on the people who were the resistance. Mm-hmm. You could have done so much more, and it would fit right in there. You could just mm-hmm. put those episodes. Or you could do it now. Mm-hmm. You could just do a little bit of filming. You know, um, keep filming some things or mm-hmm. film some new things. There's probably stuff on the cutting room floor, and it would be a, a great series. I mean, that's something that look what they did with Godfather. Very true. I mean, Very he true. took, he needed the money. So, mm-hmm. and, and it's funny because finishing the offer, um, mm-hmm. all Coppola did in, in was making his films, he did a lot of it just not, sometimes not because he wanted to, but because he needed the money. Yeah. And we have three of the greatest, four of the greatest movies, because I think Conversation is one of the most underrated films you know, out there, but you got Godfather One, Godfather Two, and Apocalypse Now, which I think is the perfect movie. Mm-hmm. And and then the conversation is just this amazing film of paranoia, and again ahead of its time. He had his vision of what a modern studio, American Zoetrope, right? right? American yeah. Zoetrope, and of course Lucas was part of that. Yeah. And they went up to San Francisco. He was going to make independent films. I mean, he didn't want to work in the studio mm-hmm. and or system, and they, you know, basically he owed four hundred and forty thousand to Warner Brothers because of mm-hmm. THX eleven thirty eight, and he needed the money. And so, but if you, I, I just watched Godfather again. Mm-hmm. It's done very, and the the French Connection. They're done very similar. They're handheld cameras. The whole wedding scene, it looks like it's paparazzi. I mean, it, it's set up, you know, not as a scene, a scene, a scene, a scene. It's set up like the camera is just catching, you know, all these things happening. And that's the kind of filmmaker he was. He was not a blockbuster filmmaker. I mean, even Apocalypse Now, if you watch that, it's n- it's a grand epic movie, but it's not made that way. And when and what he did, like going back to Solo and cutting it up, mm-hmm. what he did with The Godfathers, he put it in order for television, and yeah. and and created a whole new masterpiece. And yeah. I think you could do that with Solo too, and you could get people excited again for By the Solo. Way, uh, not to interrupt here, but just no, to do, just today. A uh, story dropped. Uh, Al Pacino. They were uh, doing a, a, a retrospective of his career, and he actually talked about working on The Godfather, where Phil Lord and Chris Miller let go from Solo. And here's, uh, you know, here's Francis Ford Coppola pulls Pacino aside, and it's like, we're going to move up the scene with you, uh, you know, meeting with the police captain in the restaurant and it's like really that why is that going up in the batting order so it's just, okay we're going to shoot it and it turns out he coppola wanted it on film to show the folks at the studio because they were asking him to fire pacino 
not only Pacino, but they're asking to fire um, Coppola too. But well, yeah. you, you have to realize Coppola didn't have, he never had a hit. He had three movies, yep. Finnegan's Rainbow, The mm-hmm. Rain People, and that horror movie, um, something 13, the Irish mm-hmm. horror movie. Mm-hmm. And and he worked with Corman and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And he never had a big hit. Mm-hmm. And so here was this book. It was a it was on the bestseller in America. But while mm-hmm. they were filming, mm-hmm. it became an international bestseller. And so now here they are with the biggest book mm-hmm. ever. A director who has never directed this kind of people. An mm-hmm. actor, Marlon Brando, who mm-hmm. nobody wanted to work with. Mm-hmm. New actors... Jimmy Kahn, Robert Duvall, Amal Pacino, who all got nominated, by the way, mm-hmm. who have never been in major films. Mm-hmm. And and he uses sister, who Talia, who was terrific, and he used Diane Keaton because mm-hmm. he wanted that kind of uh, coastal grandmother that she was. Mm-hmm. You know, because she was... She was not. She was a fish out of water in that one. I don't know. She was definitely an outsider in that world, and and uh, she was the perfect person to do that too, because mm -hmm. she's such an actress that brings that quality. uh, Mm -hmm. Like I don't know what's happening, Mm -hmm. and you know, but I I know something's happening. Okay. Well, okay. okay, Well, we got on the Godfather. I know how we (laughs) We got on that. We did. We did. But that's okay. That's okay. Because remember this. Podcast is called Looking at Lucasfilm, yeah. and 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 George and was George, in there. George, George was in was the mix, a big part. See, mm-hmm. you he was part of. Um, he was co-founder of mm-hmm. uh, uh, George was of American Zoetrope. Mm-hmm. He was basically Coppola's right hand man. So we don't realize. And I think Marsha Lucas, she was on. She worked with Corsese. She worked mm-hmm. with Coppola. I think she helped edit uh, Conversation, right. and. She w- it was just this this small little community, and there was mm-hmm. two communities. There was the West, which was mm-hmm. American group, um, and then there was the East, which was Brian De Palma, Scorsese, mm-hmm. um, Robert De Niro, and they they would. And then there was there was L.A., who was mm-hmm. one person, and that was Spielberg, <laughs> and he was the kid. And it's worth noting, though, that both George and Francis had the same idea. That I mean, oh, think absolutely. about it. George withdraws from Hollywood with the same, I don't want to work with these people. I want to get some distance. And we get Skywalker Ranch, you know, up in uh, Marin County. And the only difference really is that, in a weird sort of way, George had better luck. You know, when it came to, you know, he created his own material versus, you know, I mean, think about, Apocalypse Now and trying to wrestle Heart of Heart Darkness. Of darkness yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Joseph Conrad. And, uh, all right. <laughs> we are oh, I know. We, getting... could, we could go down the. And then and then if we start talking about John Milius, we're in trouble. So it's like, because I can talk about that man oh, no, no, that, forever. By one brush with John Milius, uh, talking with him about 1941. Uh, I, which is still one of my favorite Spielberg films. But there's about five of us. Yeah. <laughs> when it came out, that was December of 79, right? Yeah. America was not in a mood to laugh at itself at that point. But it was, it was so fascinating to watch the business that movie did overseas. You know, to look at these ridiculous Americans at the start of World War II. 
but um, the score is love. I mean, I honestly think the nineteen forty one marches is one of Williams one of best. yeah, absolutely one hundred percent. You know, in a weird sort of way, the plain work, the miniature work in in forty one is as good, if not better, than the stuff that's done in the the, the Star Wars films. Yes. Which one? Oh, now we're going to pivot. I okay. promise you, folks, back to the Star Wars movies because <laughs> I wanted to bring up the point that we've had. Kathleen Kennedy and uh, and a number of filmmakers now, including Taika Waititi, talk about they're now working in the post Skywalker saga film era. They're looking for ways to make the next set of Star Wars movies, but with the idea that the Skywalker saga is now in the rear view and. I find this fascinating because Book of Boba Fett, I, you know, uh, Mandalorian, I, you know, Obi Wan, these these things so lean into the Skywalker saga, and are so hugely popular. And I would think it would be really daunting right now to be working on a. I'm going to do the first post, you know, Skywalker saga film. And in fact. We saw the the Patty Jenkins Rogue Squadron. Yeah, November of last year, we found out that got delayed, and this was a passion project for Patty. I mean, her dad used to fly jets like that. In fact, there was that wonderful teaser of her route on an airstrip. So it's now Taika Waititi who's working on a Star Wars film, and he's talking about we've got to expand the universe. It can't just be, oh, here are the blueprints of the Millennium Falcon and, and that Chewbacca's grandmother. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, it, it's time to, it, uh, Tycho was talking about, he wants to take something new and create new characters and expand the world. Because otherwise, if we keep going back to the prequels, the, the, the original trilogy, the, 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 the new trilogy, it becomes a small, smaller world. Yeah, it does become a small world, but aren't a lot of Star Wars fans, they like their small world? I mean, mm -hmm. look what happened with Galaxy's Edge. Mm -hmm. They were not happy at all with Galaxy's Edge because of the whole... Well, no, I can't say that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of them said, well, where's Darth Vader? Where's this, that, and the other stuff? Mm -hmm. And remember a couple of weeks ago, you um, announced that they were going to bring in uh, Boba Fett and Fennec Shan mm -hmm. to the Disneyland version of Galaxy's Edge. Mm -hmm. And what and I found out and what's been going on is they're all they're in their own little section. Mm -hmm. So Boba Fett's in his own little and Fennec Shan is in their own little area mm -hmm. of Galaxy's Edge. And that's where Grogu and the Mand and Mando's gonna be too. Mm -hmm. And in another area, you know, by the Rise of the Resistance is Ren mm -hmm. and Stormtroopers. And then Ray is over by Smuggler's um, Run and Ray and Chewbacca. And mm -hmm. so what's going on here is I think I, I think you were saying that they're testing the waters and yeah. seeing if people, because, you know, pretty soon they could build another little section because there's land over there mm -hmm. and make it old Star Wars or, you know, and, and what if the, the new series, The High Republic, then mm -hmm. do a High Republic area and stuff like that. So then you could be in like a time warp. You can go through a cave and you'll miss or something and all of a sudden you're in another Star Wars time. That can work. 
you're not wrong. I, you know, in fact, what's kind of interesting if you go back over your Disneyland history. In fact, <laughs> Ron Dominguez, the, 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 you, you may recognize that name. He was yeah. the, the president of the Disneyland Resort for for a number of years. In fact, well, again, it, you know, the the Dominguez family actually lived on the land that Disneyland was built on. In fact, for for a number of years, the admin building at, at Disneyland was the old Dominguez Ranch. You know, which. You got to have been weird for for Ron you know, <laughs> to go back. You know, yeah, you, you, you go to HR. It's in your old bedroom. Isn't there a building though that they moved like off campus, so to speak? That is, was one of the original buildings on the land around there. I think over time that did happen, but uh, you know, over you know, I mean, face it, we are now carry the two, drop the four, sixty-seven yeah. years yeah. into. There being a, a Disneyland, and, and there's been a lot of changes back of house. But anyway, to get back to Ron, one of his jobs at Disneyland Park, especially in the early days, you know, 55, 56, is he was a tall, handsome kid. And so they put him in, you know, buckskin and a coonskin cap, and he was oh. Davy Crockett. So here's Davy Crockett walking around Frontierland, and every so often they'd run into a kid like, didn't you die at the Alamo? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and it's like, well, yeah, I did. But if you remember, I came back the following year and it was in Davy Crockett and Mike Fink, and, you know, the, the River boats. Pirates. Right. Yeah, you know, there we go. So, you know, while I like your, your mist curtain transition thing, I think that that's the weird thing about theme parks is we are, are, are very forgiving about these places. You know, I mean, think about it. It's like, okay, so there's a five-foot-tall mouse standing there. Yeah, you know, that's true. Signing autograph books. And it's like, that's perfectly normal here. So, But know, then the there fact, are the ultra yeah. fans who... Oh, who, I know. <laughs> I know. And, and, and I love them and I respect so them. So do I. I. I think they're terrific. And, and a lot of times they keep Disney in check and there's nothing wrong with that. No, not at um, all. But there, the, you know, there's also the whole idea... Well, okay, like the rides, too. Mm-hmm. I went on... Smuggler's Run, and I thought it was terrific. I mean, it was, I was in the Millennium Falcon, so that was great. I was pushing the buttons and stuff like that. I was, I, I was the one that had to grab things, so I was the engineer. But I'm pretty sure the way things they, they set up, because it's always got to be um, digital screens and all that, that can't you change? Wasn't there supposed to be two missions for. Well, okay. Now, you folks, you have to remember, I'm old. Okay, I'm 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 63 years old. So I remember back in '87 when uh, you know the original Star Tours came about, and one of the things they talked about was how we're going to get new destinations, which didn't happen for almost 20 years. In fact, I got to talk with a wonderful Imagineer, Mark Eats. He was the in fact. They're having the literal discussion, you know, they're sitting down with the, the, the key people at Lucasfilm, especially ILM, because they're going to make the ride film. And so here's Dennis Murin, and you know Dennis Murin. Oh, okay. yes. Okay. So, and so Dennis is talking about, uh, okay, oh, this is going to be great. So we'll do this scene, and then we'll do a close-up, and then we'll do this thing, and it'll be a long shot, and then we'll pan, and then... Mark had tested center and said, wait, 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 guys, guys, 
you got to understand with Star Tours, the whole gimmick is you are looking out the windshield of a moving vehicle. You know, you can't do close-ups. You can't do long shots. It's one consistent view <laughs> through that window. And Marty Scalar is sitting next to Mark. Marty Scalar is the head of, of Imagineering at that time and is shooting daggers at him with his eyes like, you don't tell the guys at ILM that they're wrong. You know, we're trying to close the deal here. And Dennis Murad, God love him, he sits there for a moment and goes, oh my God, Mark's right. Ooh, this is going to be hard. How are we going to do this? Because we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to figure out where we, we make the edits, you know. And in fact, you know, that's like for a lot of film fans, that's half the fun of the original Star Tours film is, is finding the edits. That's yeah. it exactly. That's it exactly. So, but Mark told me once that, hey, look, the original, we had four simulators at, at Disneyland. And the idea originally was that first film would run for three years. Then they'd do a second film, but they'd keep one of the simulators, the original Star Tours film, you know, the, the, the Flight Dandor. Then you'd get the second film in the other three simulators, you know, say they'd send you to Hoth. And then three years after that, they would do a third film. And, and with the idea that by the time you got to year 9, 10, you had four different destinations. Mm. And the incentive was going to be, and, you know, after about year two, the crowd's going to die. You know, the line's going to go down. And we'll use that as the incentive to, okay, we're going to make the new the right film. Line never went down. Nope. And it was only when they they got the, well, actually, the, the, what's the funny part of the story? It was George making the prequels who actually reached out to Disney and said, hey, you might want to come up here. Uh, we're working on the sequence. This podcast racing thing for the Phantom Menace that I think would make a hell of a Star Tours movie. And that's what started the idea of let's, you know, let's make some new ride films. And mind you, it still takes a number of years after that. And then the whole branching technology coupled with the rise of digital projection. Because, you know, prior to that, it was, you know, 70 millimeter. 70 millimeter film, yeah. Yeah. A, a projector, which I still don't know how they did that. I mean, if the the thing was rocking and moving, how did they get... Uh, and and the projector was just projecting it. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's amazing. Some point in the future, we will get into that. Because, again, there's, there's a lot of uh, amazing tech and a lot of neat little tricks they did to pull off the whole effect there. So the same thing. The, the thinking was that you know we're you know we're we're doing uh, you know Money and Falcon Smugglers Run, and that yes you know we will do another film yeah because of course you know or another ride film because of course we're going to do a, a sequel to Solo. Uh, I mean, okay. well think about it. It ends. It tees up the second yeah. film, but in this space right now where we're looking. Uh, for, you know, looking at the success of Obi-Wan and how all of the love for the prequels that is coming out at this time, you got to wonder, somewhere down the line, those folks who love Solo are going to say the same thing. And, you know, are, are we going to revisit those characters in that world uh, maybe as a limited series? But There have uh, been a lot of films, a lot of films. The first James Bond film, Dr. No didn't do well, mm -hmm. but they still made a sequel. Mm -hmm. the, um, what about the James Bond offtake? Um, Austin Powers. 
That did not do well at all, but then it did well on DVD and, and VCR, and they made two sequels that made a lot of money. They if did. they would make a sequel to um, Solo, and they would get the right people in there, not in front of the camera, but behind the camera, and they had the right script, I guarantee you it will be a hit. But at the same time, I think, you know, especially now in today's world, the place that should be is yes. on Disney Plus and is yeah. a limited series. Absolutely. So, so um, well, speaking of, of limited series, turns out that Brian and Aaron Adams, the gentleman I do, uh, Marvelous Disney with, are, are both Neil Gaiman fans. And you were talking about uh, some great casting news that just came out about Sandman, right? Well, the, the, the new series? Yeah, one of the original, when um, the casting was first acknowledged, uh, Patton Oswald was going to be the voice of Matthew the Raven, which everybody went nuts because Patton Oswalt is probably one of the best mm. uh, voice actors out there for cartoons and, of course, actors. And mm. and he did a, a great job in Justified and other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but just recently, they announced that Merv Pumpkinhead, mm-hmm. who is the janitor, who's very crusty and sarcastic and will talk bad about his boss and his boss is standing right behind him. You know, he'll do this breaking the fourth wall and says he's behind me, isn't he? <laughs> and, um, is going to be played by Mark Hamill. Oh. And I think the story Gaiman told was, mm-hmm. I think maybe Mark reached out to him mm-hmm. and said, is there anything I can do? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, it's a no-brainer, especially one of the greatest voices mm-hmm. in cartoon is Joker. Yeah. And and I know it hurts his voice it hurts his vocal cords sometimes mm-hmm. he talks about it. But when I first saw uh, the original voice for the animated, did you know who it was? Yes, I've always heard the story Tim Curry. Tim Curry, and I was able to see the Tim Curry version cuz I knew the producer <sighs> Alan Bennett. Oh, and no. Burnett and mm-hmm. and he showed me he showed me that and the Clayface one, and I think he told me at that time we're not too happy with Tim Curry, which mm-hmm. I was like, I was horrified because I'm a big Tim Curry fan, mm-hmm. and I wrote um, an animated Pirates of the Dark Water, and I and I made sure that mm-hmm. Conk, who mm-hmm. Tim Curry played, had a lot of lines because mm-hmm. I wanted to you know, see him or at least hear him do, you know, say my lines. But anyway, mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry, I digress. So Mark Hamill, and it the imagination of mm-hmm. Mark Hamill and Patton Oswalt, because there's scenes where they are very antagonistic to each other, mm-hmm. and hilariously so, from the comic book, and that should be great to hear the two of them go at it. Oh, can't wait, can't wait. I mean, I was already looking forward to the series, but that... Uh, August if, 5th. August 5th. Okay. And speaking of things that people are looking forward to, hopefully you folks are looking forward to hearing what, what, what Brian and I have to say about the last few episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi, which we will get to in a moment. But first, this. One of the reasons I, I love doing this show with Brian is he finds things I didn't notice and picks up on things. Like, for example, can you talk about who co-wrote the last two episodes of, of Obi-Wan Kenobi? Because this is kind of huge for all us Disney Pixar fans. Well, I have to tell 
I love credits. Mm-hmm. I go to movies. I sit through credits. Mm-hmm. Um, why? Well, when I was 18, I went to, up to uh, I love Newport Beach, and I went up to Hollywood mm-hmm. to yep. see a sneak preview mm-hmm. of a new comedy called Animal House. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And yes. I was in the theater, uh-huh. and so after the movie... You know, they at the end they say what everybody is doing. You know, mm-hmm. John Belushi is a Senator Blutarski. Senator, Senator Blutarski, and then yes. um, Babs Jansen is working yes. as a a um, guide at Universal Studios, et cetera, et cetera. Ah, yes. So I'm walking out of the theater, mm-hmm. and in the middle of the theater, there's mm-hmm. about twenty to thirty people, mm-hmm. and they're the only ones in the theater, and they're watching. The movie. Yep. Now, I didn't realize who they were. It was Landis. It was John uh, Stephen First. It was all these people oh, from wow. the movie. Yep. And I decided, I was with my brothers. I'm going, we have to stay here. There's a reason they're staying. Yep. So we stood th- sat there and watched the rest of the credits. Mm-hmm. And then Universal used to put a tag on the end yes. of all their films. Yes. And the tag was, while in... Hollywood visit Universal Studios, but then what comes up in parentheses is ask for, for Babs. Babs. Yeah. Now I have heard that if you go there and you ask for Babs, mm-hmm. they let you and your party in free. No. Yeah, and they did this for a couple years. Then every John Landis film, yes, had yes. it, including the Blues Brothers, a Universal, right. the Blues Brothers, All Night Long. Right. Stuff like that. They had asked for Babs, yeah. and people would the the people who clean the theater would like get mad at me because I would be sitting there. Yes. So then other then there was a movie called Electric Dreams, mm-hmm. and at the end of that, mm-hmm. after everything, you hear the computer that came to life and he's giggling, and so mm-hmm. I'm I, so I'm thinking I'm never leaving. <laughs> the the credits. I'm gonna stay because I will find. And then of course, look what's happening with the MCU is they're doing all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So even in TV things, mm-hmm. I watch credits because I found out the name of in in um, the Mandalorian second season when he goes. I, I'm not Mandalorian Boba Fett when he goes into um, the bar and there's a, a woman and a man there. Mm-hmm. They were, if you see, there's a cut scene from Star Wars where he's talking to his friends mm-hmm. and two of the characters are there. I forget their names right now, but um, there's a girl and there's a, a guy mm-hmm. and he, they were connected to the the scene that was cut out mm-hmm. where he meets Biggs and talks about, you know, how Biggs is going to leave the empire because Mm -hmm. he doesn't like what's going on Mm -hmm. so if you read the credits Mm -hmm. their names were in the credits so then what i did was i googled their names because i i've gone there's got to be and then i found out that these they were from the cut scene Mm -hmm. so i will read all the credits (laughs) and in reading the credits i found out that one of the consulting producers Mm -hmm. is andrew stanton So then I went on IMDb and Mm -hmm. found out what else he was doing, Mm -hmm. and he co-wrote episode five and episode six. So the last thing Stanton did for Pixar was Mm -hmm. Finding Nemo, Mm -hmm. or Finding Dora, 
And then he started doing all these other things, and now he's in the Star Wars universe writing things. And I'm pretty sure they're going to have him direct something down the line. I, I mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, he, he could be doing a Mandalorian, for all we know, or, or something. Because that's what they seem to do. They seem to grab these people mm-hmm. and then put them in their universe. And all of a sudden, Bryce Dallas Howard is directing you know, Mandalorian and Boba Fett. And doing great work, by the way. Oh, amazing! I mean, well, they, the all of them are the all the directors are, and look what Deborah Chow's doing with Obi Wan. I mean, it's just phenomenal, totally killer. But before we get started here, I want to be sure, just in case folks stuck out when we start talking about Episode Five, worth noting there is a story making the rounds right now that on Wednesday, June twenty second, the day that the sixth episode drops. Uh, supposedly, in, in fact, it's a theater chain up in Canada, that, that uh, Cineplex, that supposedly leaked this news. But supposedly on the day that the sixth episode drop, they're going to do an event where they show all six episodes on the big screen. I'd kill to do that. I, you know, it's, it's one of these things where I'm hoping... There's a chain, you know, somewhere down here stateside that does that. Well, that's what I think one of the biggest weaknesses of the, I mean, is there a weakness of the show, is that it is structured like a movie, and you are not watching it like a movie. You're watching it like an episodic, and, you know, people were complaining, well, there's not enough action. Oh, you know, this character has no motivation, or I don't understand what's going on there, or Obi-Wan doesn't act like that, or, or stuff like that. If you watched it at one sitting, by the time it was over, all those would be all those questions would be answered for you. Yeah. In fact, speaking of which, <laughs> let's just drop into this because again, you made some predictions fairly early on based yeah. on on watching episode you know one and two and three about certain characters, and when we get to, to talk about five, we'll get into that. But what's your take on uh, you know these last couple episodes? Reva, I think, is mm-hmm. probably the most misunderstood, and only because you know there's something else going there mm-hmm. on there because she yep. kind of drops things like, "I want what it's owed to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I I want you know I get I, I want what I want you know that type of thing." And mm-hmm. and you think I mean they want you to think that she's going after Kenobi. But the mm-hmm. problem with thinking about having a week between episodes mm-hmm. that you start thinking like going, wait a minute, there's something there's something strange going on here. And I was starting to think that, well, maybe she wasn't going after Kenobi. Mm-hmm. Maybe her whole motivation was going after Vader. Because mm-hmm. she seemed to be as as much of a, you know, a desire to get him Mm-hmm. on her good side mm-hmm. and she knew that Vader was Anakin and nobody's supposed to know that. Given the way that Obi-Wan Kenobi began with our, our opening scene, they laid the track for this in a, a very emotionally consistent way by revisiting, you know, a, 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 frankly, a, one of the more shocking scenes of you know, Revenge of the Sith when the, the younglings got taken out and putting us right in the middle of that. Yeah, but the reason they that when you first watched it, it was like, this is the most horrible thing that Darth Vader had ever done. Right. And Obi-Wan mm-hmm. thought that maybe if he was there, he could have stopped it. 
So that's when you saw that. Now, if we when we talk about episode five, it has a whole different meaning. But at first, and again, there's just too many things that you're you're watching and you're just going, oh man, I don't want to think about it. I just want the answers mm-hmm. and and stuff like that. But just to talk about the episode three, well, we'll go. I, I, I just want to talk about episode three and four right now, mm-hmm. and then maybe we'll okay. um, talk about five. Mm-hmm. But I was getting a Les Miserables feel that here Obi-Wan was Jean Valjean and he was hiding and he was, you know, on the run from Javert, who could be either Riva or Darth Vader or even the Inquisitors. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's a kid brought into it and stuff like that. So I was getting this feeling from it. And with Les Miserables, Jean Valjean is never a happy man. And you see that with with um, Obi Wan. He just, mm-hmm. and even when he's asked to to step up, he can't mm-hmm. do it. He's mm-hmm. so devastated. Mm-hmm. Yet he does get a little bit mad at Owen mm-hmm. when Owen says, "Stay away from the kid." And he's mm-hmm. saying, "But he has to be trained." I mean, because he so believes if Vader wasn't the chosen one, then Luke has got to be the chosen one. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's what his motivation is. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. But again, what I like about, you know, they, they pull the page, they're pulling a page from The Mandalorian. They're putting in actors and um, characters that, you know, they're Easter eggs. Like mm-hmm. um, like the character of Freck, mm-hmm. okay? Which I think, uh, which I thought was Seth Rogen. I'm going, oh, mm-hmm. good. Seth Rogen is now in the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. But it's not. It's Zach Braff. Yep. Yep. And um, but and I swear to God, I listen to it over and over again, and I I don't hear any of Zach Braff in that. Mm-hmm. But well, right now in episode four, mm-hmm. the woman who plays Talia, Indira Varma, she's been I've been a big fan of hers for a long time. She was in Luther, mm-hmm. she was in uh, Games of Thrones, and she's like almost every great English series. So it was great to bring her in there. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, and also Ned B. Do you remember the movie Real Steel with Hugh Jackman? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't Ned B give you that vibe of the fighter robot? You know, this like silent, giant type Mm -hmm. of thing. Yeah. And again, looking at credits, the beginning where Mm -hmm. they do the helmets. Yep. And Mm -hmm. you see them. Well, in episode four, Mm -hmm. they've changed them up. And the first one you see is Ned B. Mm Mm-hmm. Then you see this thing that looks like a gas grill. So I don't know what the hell that was. Mm-hmm. And then you see Lola. Yeah. She's at the mm-hmm. end. Mm-hmm. And she's right before Vader. Mm-hmm. But then you have R2-D2. and uh, Not R2-D2. Yeah, you have R2-D2, C-3PO, mm-hmm. um, the Mandalorian, and, um, and other things. Mm-hmm. And it was just because usually a lot of people would just skip the credit, you know, skip and go mm-hmm. on. But I've been watching, like I said, I've been watching everything to see, and they're, they are, they're throwing in Easter eggs even when there shouldn't be any Easter eggs, and they're just trying to get people to be involved in that. And with James Earl Jones, did you know he's not doing the voice had, per se? I had heard that. Now, mind you, they still credit him as the voice, as yes. the originator of the voice, but evidently there's a piece of software that they It's they called Respeacher. There we go. 
There we go. Because I have to say, what, what's been fascinating for me watching Obi-Wan Kenobi is, face it, you, know, you and I grew up watching David Prowse in that outfit. And there was a way that, that David moved. And what's right. been fascinating about watching Darth Vader in Obi-Wan is, that's Hayden Christensen. I mean, you, 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 his physicality. Uh, you know, uh, now mind you, it's still classic Darth Vader, but there's there's a way that Hayden moves. There are choices that he makes. But at the same time, I have to tell you, just in this this last episode, there is a moment where Ewan McGregor does the Alec Guinness beard scratch. Yeah, yeah. It was just one of these things where it's like, oh, that's a, that's a lovely bit. That's a lovely touch. That's, you know, an actor being generous enough to acknowledge, okay, you remember this from yeah. the other actor who played this role. So uh, that was very sweet. Also with Vader's voice, mm-hmm. when we first heard Vader's voice in all the movies, even Rogue One, it was like James Earl Jones, what a great voice. Yep. But now... Mm-hmm. Especially in the series, mm-hmm. we know who Vader is. Mm-hmm. We know he's Anakin. Mm-hmm. And I'm almost sometimes wanting to hear mm-hmm. Anakin's voice somehow distorted mm-hmm. and, and hear him because, you know, he, he said some very iconic things when he and Obi-Wan were fighting. You know, um, you, if you don't follow me, you are my enemy, stuff like that. And you just, you kind of want to hear his cadence and stuff. One of the scene, one of the scene where Obi-Wan says, mm-hmm. I am what you made me, mm-hmm. I could have sworn, and I listened to it over and over again, and if it is, it's really faint, mm-hmm. that there is an overlap, that you can kind of hear uh, Hayden Christensen's voice, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I, it just it sounds different than just Vader, mm-hmm. and maybe that's because of the software. I, I don't know, but it, it's just very. It, it's like with the Mandalorian, you want mm-hmm. Pablo to take off his hat. Mm-hmm. Well, in this, you kind of want to hear Anakin give the threats, mm-hmm. and and in the style, do you notice his style of uh, fighting? Yeah, is the the whack it, mm-hmm. whack a mole style from the movies mm-hmm. and not from the prequels. And I have a theory about that. Okay. Think... Well, his arms and legs. He's a robot. Uh... He can't do all that because he doesn't have the dexterity. He mm-hmm. just can whack. Mm-hmm. Whack-a-mole. I mean, I don't know. That's that's his, you know, I, like I say, I sit here and I think too much. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the crazy thing about it. But the go on the the, the third episode. Um, mm-hmm. I live in California, Southern California, and mm-hmm. there's a we have a desert out here called Joshua Tree. Mm-hmm. And I swear, to, I know it was filmed in Manhattan, bitch. You know it was filmed mm-hmm. in the volume, but I swear to God, it's they they filmed Joshua Tree. I mean, there are Joshua trees in that scene where they're walking, where um, Leia and and Obi Wan are walking through the the desert. And yeah, okay. and and it's really weird because you go there and it's a it's the Mojave Desert and you can actually there's a part where you can look over the San Andreas Fault, which is the fault that's going to kill us all. So <laughs> <laughs> that's going to put us all in the ocean. And all it's right, well, no, right no. <laughs> speaking of going to kill us all, I'm sorry. Okay, this this is the point, folks. Where if you're if you haven't seen episode five, we're going to start to dig into it now because. Yeah. 
first of all, as my good friend Mr. Testa says, every episode should feature a hearty round of self-congratulations. And I want to say, Brian, you called it yeah. early on with Reva. You were looking at that character and there's more going on here. There's more, you know, the more to this. And, and the very fact that the fan community was being as brutal as it was. And you were the one, hang on, hang on. Yeah. We're going to see an interesting turn here. And boy, did we ever. I was worried mm -hmm. that if I was right, mm -hmm. that it would not, they would not do a good job of revealing it. Mm -hmm. But boy, did they get to do a good job of revealing it. I cried. Yeah. When she talked about what happened to her, I was devastated. Well, again, I love that bookend. I love the, the kids yeah. and the, the, that, that opening scene. And then to show her the close-up of of her and it's like as a, a as a youngling and it was just sort of like, oh my god and but to think of what she described how she hid or how she survived it's like a schindler's list reference i mean didn't that happen during schindler's list i mean some people they pretended to be dead in the pile of of um other germans and and stuff like that and isn't that a a real true event. Uh, if we're going to stop talking I'm about sorry. real, no real true events that there's a little girl who survived the most recent school shooting. Who oh yeah, I who forgot did the that. Exact yeah, same thing. I mean, it's that's, just, it, and that's why they put the the um. No, that's it exactly. The, thing at the, the beginning. The, that there are some, you know, that the effect of this is contained scenes that may be disturbing to folks. Yeah. And, it is kind of sad for me. They had to acknowledge what went on in the real world, but you know, but again, you know that that this was shot months and months beforehand. But what's interesting, at least for me, is you've got to be hearing the same things that I've been hearing. That supposedly there are discussions about a Riva series. I heard something. I read something that the original thing was she was supposed to die. Mm. Yep. Which kind of makes sense because. Mm. Talia's gone because we don't see her in, we don't even see a Ned B. So, mm -hmm. you know, seeing that those two characters perish, it's acceptable. Like in, like in um, Rogue One, everybody died because, of course, nobody survives. Mm -hmm. So I heard that she was supposed to die, but then there was like a pot, there was positive, there was a lot of, po there was negative, but there was a lot of positive towards the character too. Mm -hmm. So now they've um, retooled the ending mm -hmm. where they they didn't reshoot anything. They just snipped something to where she will survive. And yes, there there should be there may be a a sequel. Mm -hmm. But what what could the sequel be? Could she be part of the path then? <sighs> it's hard. Could she to take up where Talia? I guess in a way, yeah. That that could she do the you know step into the role that Talia had. Are, are you a fan of the Dr. Afara comic books? The, yeah. The, okay. I, I think they're terrific. Um, but don't they take place at the time of Rogue One and Solo? There were a number of them that actually do feature Luke and, and Han and Leia and Chewie. Okay. Uh, you know, so they're in that space as well. But there's a Star Wars that embraces the negative characters, the, the, the oh. ones that aren't. And it might be interesting. I mean, face it, uh, you know, everybody counted the Grand Inquisitor out after uh, right. epi episode two, Who, but then the actor, uh, 
you know, appeared on Rupert Jimmy. Friend. There we go. And, and did I die? I, <laughs> did I? You know, you know. And so I, I think that's the thing. Normally, we associate, you know, when you get run through with a lightsaber, you don't bounce back from that. And the Grand Inquisitor has has proven otherwise and well didn't they say that he has two stomachs and he was just hitting one <laughs> i i guess so but speaking of which think well, about if, if you can have taika mm-hmm. do a series of another place where none of the main characters are she could be hiding from people so look kanan was never caught until like the very end but he he kept hidden pretty well and he was out in the open too he wasn't hiding that much and mm. so you can put her she she could be on Tantooine too and then you can ret, retcon her in all of a sudden she can show up in the Mandalorian you know as I mean it's very easy to put I mean she was just run through with a lightsaber which basically carots everything doesn't it doesn't it just <laughs> How many people have we... Uh, Fennec Shand, all right? Fennec Shand, dead, all yes. right? Uh, just literally dead. You know, but yeah, interesting set of boots, walks up to Fennec Shand, and, and, and one Baka tank later. So Yeah, exactly. This is a universe where it's like, uh, hang on, you know, the, who's in the queue for the Baka tank? Can we move this up a little bit? I'm going to be intrigued to see if they bring her back on the... Can- face it, we have one more episode to see. Yeah. You know, in fact, that that's the other thing of, of to laying out the stakes, you know, as we end episode five. And again, I apologize, folks, you haven't seen it, but here's the thing. The ship that Le- young Leia and, and Obi-Wan are on has dropped out of hyperdrive and Vader's Star Destroyer is coming up hard behind him. And we, we've seen Reva, who is watching that message from Leia's dad. You know, to the effect of the children, the boy, you know... Tatooine. Tatooine. And and then cut to Gunkalo and Aunt Beru's farm and, you know, young Luke asleep in bed. And it's like, oh, and I have to wait a week to find out what happens here. But you know what's really weird, too, is we know that these people survived, too. That where they, you know, where they come from. And you're watching this and you're just going, okay... I know that this person survives and this person is nowhere to be seen and da 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 da. But you know, I think they can fudge around. I think they can they can mess around. I mean, you're not going to kill Obi Wan. You're not going to kill Owen yet. You're not going to kill Aunt Beru. Mm-hmm. But you can you can still make it to where you know we're on the edge of our seats. And but- and and like episode four was mm-hmm. one of the most tense things I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. on television i was on i actually wanted to mm-hmm. fast forward it to the end mm-hmm. to find out what happened and then watch the rest of it because i was so nervous basically you're not wrong you're not wrong but i would compare obi-wan the, the limited series to uh ron howard's apollo 13 in in that Look, I know how Apollo 13 ends. Uh, I lived through it, all right? I know they made it home. I know they somehow were able to turn the lem into a lifeboat and and go around the moon and come back. But at the same time, the the, the film is so well told 
that I still, so when it's on, I'll get sucked in. I'll be channel serving. Like, oh, it's Apollo 13. You know, and I got to watch this. And it's like, same thing with Obi Wan. I know how this ends. All right. Yeah. You know, that nothing's going to happen to Luke. Nothing's going to happen to Leia, or at least in this story. Uh, and likewise, Obi Wan, you know, disappears back into the desert so Luke can go find him. But at the same time, it's just the fact that. Even knowing how this plays out, I'm still, you know, I, I, yes. that tension about what happens next. I got to find out what happens next. So, well, I also love the the whole thing I, in Star Wars, original Star Wars, New Hope, where she leaves the hologram and she calls him General Kenobi. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, has she ever been introduced to him as General Kenobi? Mm -hmm. Well, Renko calls her calls him General Kenobi. Also, mm -hmm. when he realizes what he has to do. You saw the general come back. Mm -hmm. You saw Kenobi come back. Mm -hmm. So I think at one time, you know, people are going to, somebody's going to say that to him mm -hmm. because he is now in charge. Well, that's, I mean, the, the scene in the hidden base where he, he steps up and explains, yes. you know, that they're, they're coming and, you know, this is what we need to do. And, you know, that we had a broken man who had to find his way back. Right. To himself and his abilities and all that. And you saw that with the style he was using the lightsaber when he was fighting mm -hmm. um, Darth. It was basically just protecting himself. Mm -hmm. But when he was going after the the stormtroopers and then holding the water back, yep. he was his old self again. Yeah, we, we're seeing... But this is where this gets kind of interesting. That yeah, I'm going to be intrigued to see the dismount. In yes. episode six, because he's got to go back to being the guy who hides in the desert. But he wasn't hiding in the desert. He had his own little house. See, now he's hiding in a cave, uh, but he has his own little house, so he probably became part of the community. And when we saw him, he was pretty confident. He wasn't a broken man. I mean, I would have loved to seen him recognize who Luke was more, but, you know, mm -hmm. maybe somehow they'll they'll fit that in but yeah he becomes part of he has his own little igloo you know mm -hmm. whatever they those um houses mm -hmm. were called and he's not living in the cave anymore interesting point and and also to circle back to the whole leia thing she named her son ben all right yeah. this guy was significant in her life if we're only just putting the pieces together now and that this story hadn't been told previously. But again, that this guy was a significant part of her life. She honored, when she had her, her son, yeah. she named him after the, her rescuer. So. Well, also, maybe the General Kenobi is mm -hmm. a form of respect rather also, than a title. Mm -hmm. So maybe she's basically telling him in code mm -hmm. that this is a political, not a political matter, but this is a war matter mm -hmm. rather than, you know, me saying, hi, how you doing? Mm -hmm. But I, I think you can, can really um, accept that she knew who he was. Oh, no, no. Absolutely. And knew that she had to, to stay away from him and that he saved her. Now, I just wonder if what's going on with the, um, the, the Luke and one episode. I don't know if we can do that in one episode. I, I felt the same way about, you know, the tail end of, of the Book of Boba Fett. And, yes. you know, and they, they delivered the goods there. So yeah. I'm very hopeful uh, come this Wednesday. We'll get to find that out. And more to the point, if there are any looking at Lucasfilm listeners out there who manage actually to get into this screening of, you know, all six of the episodes back to back, 
up in Canada, you know, uh, let us know about it. And uh, more than if there's, you know, if it's going on in LA, I'm sure Brian's going to want to do that. And if it's going oh, down, yeah. down hey, in Boston. I so. once, when I was in college, I once went to the New Art Theater and saw, I think it was 12 hours of <sighs> Werner Fassbinder's Berlin Alexanderplatz. Mm-hmm. So I know what it's like to sit in a theater for days okay. to watch something. So I'm I'm up for it. And, right, and right. I, I know I, I, you know, I'm eventually going to watch this again mm-hmm. as a complete thing. So, but to see it in a theater, oh, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Oh, that would be great. Well, hopefully <laughs> on our next episode, uh, well, obviously on our next episode, we'll get to talk about how this ends and, and more to the point, what, what's coming up uh, further on down the line. Uh, but for now, uh, that is going to do it for this week's Looking at Lucasfilm. So, now, of course, if you can't wait to to, to hear even more of, of Brian's thoughts and insights <laughs> and great Hollywood stories, where can they find you on uh, social media, Brian? Right now, Twitter is a good place to find me. It's Geek with Children, and you spell children C H I L D R N, and um, I, you know, I go there and and just you know talk about things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool, cool. <laughs> uh, well, uh, social media wise, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram is Jim Hill Media, and over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. Uh, likewise, uh, speaking of Jim Hill Media, we, we got a couple other podcasts here. We got Disney Dish that I do with Len Testa, we got uh, Marvelous Disney, which I do with Aaron Adams. I also have fine tuning that I do with Drew Taylor, uh, and uh, Drew's a bit under the weather. You know, it's one of those people who waited a full two years before getting COVID. So you know, I wish him a speedy recovery, folks. If you could do Brian and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend looking at Lucasfilm, uh, that helps us get additional ears and eyeballs and by the way if you really 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 like what you heard here today if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe that's what allows us to afford going to six hour long showings of of Obi-Wan Kenobi (laughs) Um, but anyway uh, that's going to do it for this week and again uh, to all the dads out there happy Father's Day and we'll be back soon